Hey lovelies, before we get started, I just want to take a minute to talk about how things are going to be changing here over the three weeks. And the short answer is they're not. Um, I know that a lot of stores do different summer hours or things like that, and I just wanted to talk about it. So uh, the two main areas are in shipping and shipping schedules and in sales. So number one, if you do choose to shop during the three weeks, I will be operating and shipping as usual. Don't take the summer off, so you can expect your orders to ship same or next day, depending on when you place the order. The cutoff is generally around 4 p.m. Eastern, so if you get your order in before then, it'll ship out that day, and if it's after that time, then it'll go out the next business day. Secondly, sales. I will not be running any sales during the three weeks. Um, that just doesn't feel right. Um, the only discount, I think that there's a lovely perk that's scheduled to go out during the three weeks. Um, depending on when exactly in the three weeks it works out, I might push it to afterwards. I have to take a closer look at my calendar. Um, in general, if you are looking for deals, just always if you like to shop deals um, or if you only shop deals during this time, there is a clearance section on the site that has fantastic discounts that are always available. Some styles there are up to 70% off. Most are in like the 30 to 50% range. Um, and they're the same exact clothes. Uh, some of them are from past seasons, but a lot of my designs are really staples. So you can find great, great deals there. And last I checked, there was something available for every size. Um, the only difference between buying from the clearance section and buying from the regular site is that um, it is still returnable just within 10 days instead of the usual 30 and that's pretty much all you need to know so pretty basically we'll be operating as normal um during the three weeks you'll we'll still have podcast episodes coming out and all of that so i hope you enjoy the show from impact fashion it's be impactful a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world And on today's show, I talk with a soon-to-be-published author and overall curious Jew about how she learned at a young age to solve problems without thinking emotionally. She shares her three-step plan for ending the Aguna crisis, and we have a frank discussion about lace-top wigs and women's place in Jewish law. Everyone knows someone like Kayla Haber Goldstein. She's smart, inquisitive, and not satisfied with half-baked answers. And while some would like to brand her as radical or way out of the box, the truth is that she's not, and she just wants us and our leaders to do the things they're supposed to be doing all along. I was a wild, chutzpahic, really sweetheart girl. Like, meaning I was very sweet and kind, and then I also had a big fat mouth. I also have very curly hair and that kind of like was my personality trait. So I was out, like I was always like, you know, in the center, like loud, but not necessarily, I was, I got in trouble a lot. <laughs> <laughs> got in that lot of trouble. My parents made out when I was 10 and I went from like this like American psychology driven, like small class, calm school to like 40 kids in my class everybody's speaking Hebrew and the like discipline is just like yell at you until you behave. So it was like, yeah, I don't know. I was, that's I was kind of that's very different. Kid. Where, where had you previously lived before you made Aliyah? So I was born in Australia in Melbourne and then my parents moved to Muncie when I was two. And then we moved to Israel when I was 10. So and then okay. I moved back to Muncie. 
Yeah. Got it. Okay. So yeah, that's, that's a very, that's a wide range of things and of people. Yeah. What was it yeah. like to, you know, to make Aliyah, to move to Israel at like your life was completely upended. What was that like? So it was, it was pretty intense, but it was, I, I was upset when, when I found out we were moving, I was very scared of the Arabs. I, I, I was like, we're going to die. We're going to die. It was like the middle of the Intifada. It was 2003. So I was 100% sure we were going to die. But then once we moved, I got into trouble a lot at school and I hated that aspect, but I also had this like chance to rebrand myself. So when we lived in America, I was very shy. I was a very quiet girl and I was the rabbi's daughter and I was timid. And then we moved to Israel and I kind of was like had this opportunity and I just became like unshy. I was like, no, the new me is not shy. I have a personality and I'm going to show it because I have this chance. No one knows me. And having to be my luck, <laughs> my friend's parents, my parents' friends were, had a daughter in my school and they on purpose put me in her class. They sent me back a grade so I'd be in her class. So I would know somebody and she spoke English and she was the class queen. Mm. So I was automatically popular and automatically cool. I was this American who moved to Israel. Like everybody wanted to be my friend and I just kind of embraced it. So even though it was a hard thing initially, it was very good for me and by the time I was like 15, I was obsessed with Israel. I never wanted to leave. I was so grateful that my parents made Aliyah. And I, even though I had a terrible, terrible, terrible school experience, everything else about it was so amazing that I, I love Israel till today. I, I'm obsessed. What about the school experience was so terrible? Well, they were crazy people. Like they, they had You in no- the Haredi system? I was in the Bisyakov school and the Bisyakov system in Israel is like the public system in America. They have to accept anybody who lives in a certain district and they have their, their teachers have like no training. It's like whoever the principal like is related to is in the school. I had a teacher who was blind. I had another teacher who had a brain stroke and she was still teaching. Like these people did not. And, and I was, you know, we got hit and we got, we got, we got hurt and we, I was locked in a classroom for like a full day with no food or water. Cause I didn't wear a pleated skirt, like the consequences versus the end of playing favorites and whoever had money was never did anything wrong. And it was just like the whole thing was just so, I have to say my father was like, this is messed up. And he actually opened a boys high school, a girls high school and an elementary co-ed school because he was just like, this isn't working. We need a new system. And he, he opened an amazing school in Robert Jamesh, but so I guess something good came out of it, but yeah, it was not, it was not a great experience. Yeah. That definitely sounds like it was, but less I left, than ideal. I left in the, in the middle of 10th grade. I didn't go back to school. I went to college. Whoa. That's really early. Yeah. It, okay. was, it was not working for me. <laughs> it wasn't working. <laughs> I was, I dropped out right after so kiss in 10th grade. I, and I didn't drop out. She had locked me in the classroom and I had to call my friend had like called my father from my phone in my, in my bag and told him what was going on. And my father came and he was like, you're not going back. He came to get me and he was like, you're not going back to school. And then I went to Australia for a few months and I taught in, in the desk over there. And then, but when I came back, I just decided to, you know, get my high school de- degree. So I did all my bugrio. And then when, instead of starting 11th grade, I started college. So the, yeah, the Bagriot are like the Israeli, it's like the Israeli GED basically, kind of. Yeah. It's like Regents, I think it's called. Yeah. 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 Well, it's Regents is, uh, is specific to New York, but yeah. Oh, it, well then no. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Regents, Regents are just like the high school <laughs> tests that you have to take in New York in order to graduate and you have to pass like two maths and one history right. and English or whatever. So yeah, the, the Bagriot are 
or kind of similar? It's basically the same thing, yeah. Uh, in Israel. Okay, so you go to college. What do you go to college for? So I'm an architectural engineer. I went to college for architecture and ended up becoming an architectural engineer. And then the day after I graduated, four years later, we moved to America. So I'm an interior designer. So when you say we, that was you and your- So halfway through, I got married and I had a baby during college. And when my daughter was four months old, we moved to America and we, so I'm not licensed in New York. So I'm, I work as an interior designer who knows how to make floor plans and knows all of the architectural background. So like a super interior designer, basically. Yeah, I'm super. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You are super. Yes. Like an oh. interior designer on steroids. Yes. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I first knew you as an interior designer and you do beautiful stuff, by the way. I've seen your work and I really love it. And then recently, um, I guess I see with, okay. So we have this, this Aguna thing that comes up, right? So everyone starts mm-hmm. finally talking about this abuse and how, you know, we need to do something about get refusal and talking about it and all of that. And then, so there's a lot of emotions flying around and I am holding a lot of those emotions. Like I am a very uh, reactive kind of person. And I was like, this is wrong and we need to fix it. Like that was my immediate thing. And I'm like, who do I need to talk to? Where is the manager? <laughs> Let's fix like that. That was me. Like, I'm in... being a Karen. I'm fixing this. Yeah, What's exactly. I went in full Karen mode and we are taking care of this. Um, and then in all of the noise, I kept hearing your name come up because it seemed okay. like in all of the noise that was happening, you had this very clear-eyed plan, for lack of a better word, on how this could be taken care of. It seemed like when everyone was upset, you got down to action and you started thinking about how do we make this actually happen? You looked at things from a halakhic perspective. You looked at things from a social perspective. Um, and I'd love to know what that was like for you. What made you, you know, is that just the way you are that you look at things in that so way? So I've been through, okay, I'm not going to go into all the details. I've been through a lot of my life, just like I've had a lot of different traumas that happened to me in my life. And a lot of them were social, like with other people, right? So I've learned at a very young age how to solve a problem without thinking emotionally, because you had to, you had to solve a problem in order to be okay. And the funny thing is, is that I didn't realize this about myself until I got married. And like, as all couples do, we would have an argument or we would have some kind of issue and we would go speak to a third party. It was always very much like, okay, but what are we doing? Like, here's our plan. Here's our five-step plan. And here's the goal. And here's how we're going to get there. And like my emotions, like I'll, I'll have them, I'll have them later. And when other people didn't go according to my plan, I couldn't hold my emotions. And then I went crazy. And then we had to figure out how to align that. But by the time I got to the Aguna problem, I had done it so many times. I had done it in my childhood and I had done it as a, as a daughter getting married, um, which like I was, I'm my father's youngest daughter. We're very, very close. Also close to my husband. Also my husband's close to his mother. There was a lot of territory being taken and I just dealt with it. And then getting through marriage, getting through my son's birth was very much like, okay, here's how we're going to survive. Like, this is what we're going to do. And then getting through like a lot, then getting through my book and getting through, I wasn't, I wasn't so sure if I wanted to be religious. Here's how we're going to find out. Here's what we're going to do. Like a whole thing. By the time I came to that Aguna system, I was just like, okay, here's the problem. Let's find a solution. Okay. Here's the solution. How are we going to get to that solution? And I didn't like really feel the need to go on rants and, and bash rabbis and get very angry and get very emotional because I've have so much practice just putting that emotion that's for later that's for when I'm ranting to my husband that's for when I'm just talking about it that's when I'm not doing things and 
the crazy thing is, is that I heard the noise and I was like, I actually had this conversation with my husband, like, should I get involved in the noise? Like, am I not okay that I'm not being so like passionate and, and upset about this? I'm like, what is it? And he kept saying, no, keep your head down. You're doing your keep, stay in your lane. Keep your head down. This is your thing. Everybody has the re their contribution. This is your contribution. Your contribution is not to yell. Your contribution is to do this. By the way, I did yell. I went to Nahum Wasserman's protest and I screamed my brains off and I didn't have a voice for a week. But like, in general, my approach has been, I'm just going to keep my head down and stay in my lane and I'm going to do what I need to do. It got very frustrating at a point when nobody, when I wasn't getting the support that I need to get from the rabbis. And then I got frustrated and I started getting a little bit more, because like I said, when someone doesn't do it with me, I'm like, hello, we have a plan. Why are you ruining it? Why right. are you ruining my plan? So right. Like I've done the work. I just need you to get in line. Like I'm literally spoon feeding it to you. What is wrong? What is right. the problem? I did all the work for you. Do it. Right. Right. Like j just get <laughs> through it. So I, so I, I want to go through this plan that you have, because it's actually quite a good one I think um, I have to give the credit I didn't come up with it on my own I came up with it with with Rabbi Avi Kahan and my husband Rabbi Shmuel Goldstein like okay. we sat for three hours in a room and came up with this plan great so talk me through it what is what does it entail so it so the uh, the the end goal the the end of it is that if a woman is in an abusive marriage where she can't leave because the husband is being idiotic there's a way to release her from the marriage, either through an annulment or through um, canceling the kiddushin or through giving her again on behalf of the husband. There's a few ways to get her out of the marriage or like a man who's, there's like, there's a few ways. There's like a few, six ways to get her out of marriage and they get complicated. So I was looking for a rabbi who would help me write it down halakhically. And I learned a lot with my father and he helped me a lot with the sources. And Simon helped me with the sources and I wrote it all down. But the problem is that nobody is ready to take that on because it's terrifying and it's a very big change from what we have now. And it's just out of people's comfort zone. Like it's way too far out of their comfort zone for them to even, to just even give me the time of day. So we came up with a three-step plan where the first step is to get everybody to come to the table. Let, get everybody to agree. We do not tolerate, as a Jewish nation, we do not tolerate get abuse. There is no second side of the story. Yes, there's there's always negotiations, but after 12 months, there's no negotiations anymore. You're just being an idiot. And the we're all here. We are all going to respect Siruvim. We are all going to kick get abusers out of our shul. We are all going to make sure that get abusers are not tolerated in our community. Now, this is not going to get rid of get abusers because a lot of get abusers don't mind if they're not tolerated in the community. But the point is to get the message across as a Jewish community, we do not tolerate this, which currently that's not the message. We very much tolerate them. Like it's kind of like, oh, well, I'm sure you have a good reason. No, he doesn't have a good reason. And the second step would be once we have the whole community, you know, agreeing that we don't, we don't tolerate this and it's, and everybody's in that mindset to have the rabbis mediate the actual get. Now that they're like actually involved, they've actually put themselves, they can't say, I don't do get in, like they've actually become a rabbi to the full extent of the word, then they can mediate the get. So just like you don't need a basin to get married, you don't need a basin to get divorced. Having a basin is there only if you can't agree and you need a court system to help you agree. But you don't need one to get a get. You just need a mediator and two witnesses when he's giving the get. So the second step would be to educate rabbis and empower rabbis and educate women and communities that the rabbi should be the one mediating because the second it gets to court is the second where corruption happens. 
now there's his side and there's her side and she's giving up everything and he's asking for more and he's just not answering the hasmanos and the Mason couldn't care less and they're not calling and it takes it takes a year for them to send out the second serum um, and they're charging so much money and that's where all the corruption starts happening and then Rabbi Kahan has also said that he has noticed that once it gets past a certain point, the man's not giving the get. In the beginning, they're usually more willing to talk about it and give the get. As time goes on, they get stuck in their pride and they won't give the get. So by having a rabbi there, mediating it, not letting it get out of the community, not letting it get to the basin, doing it within the 12 months or the six months, you're you're going to cut in half or even more all of these get refusers because you're taking so many of the issues away. You're taking away the corruption. You're taking away the power from Basin. And then once we have that, where most couples are just, it's just a, a meeting with the rabbi or three meetings with the rabbi, then we're going to still have these guys who are actually abusive and not just, you know, got bad advice, but they're actually abusive and they actually want their wives to suffer for the rest of their lives. And these guys, we need to be able to take these women out of these marriages without the man's permission because these men are, they don't, they're never going to give the permission. And she, that's not what the Torah wanted. Torah did not mean for women to be trapped. We, we see that very clearly. So the third step would be once the entire community is at a place where Gitin is the, something that the rabbis can mediate and it's not this like big scary thing that I don't know anything about Gitin. I can't tell you. It's, we know it's just like marriage. Then we can, and, and the Basin's lost their power because nobody's going to them anymore, then we can go to Basin and we can submit that they should use these five or six ways to annul marriages. And by then we will have the whole community behind us. Everybody will be a little bit closer to there in their comfort zone. Their comfort zone has now expanded and we're going to require now that annulments and zikoi get and all these things happen. So we're going to. Yeah. So the way that the, it seems to me like the basic premise here is that, listen, we know that the, we know that the basin system is, is opportunity is ripe for corruption just by nature of the way that the system is set up and the way that it has been just used throughout the, throughout the years there, it's just, it's full of BS. It just is. Um, and that has a lot more to do with, you know, human nature than anything else. And it also has a lot to do with the fact that you're right. Our communities are fractured and we do see it all the time that, you know, if someone is, you know, trying to avoid a base and they just get up and they move and, you know, there's kosher food in other places aside from New York. So they'll get up and they'll move to LA or they'll move to Vegas or they'll move to Florida or they'll go wherever where someone doesn't know them. The system gets fractured. It takes advantage of people's worst instincts, basically. And what so that's this- why in this first, the first step in the letter, it says if he moves, the rabbi is personally responsible to informing the new community of what he's done. Right. And that also is extremely important because, you know, you want to, what you're essentially trying to do is basically make the Jewish community closer, make it smaller yeah. in a way. Basically it- bringing, uh, the goal is to have every, um, every community rabbi in America sign this paper. And then they're all working under the same system. Somebody mentioned on my Instagram, she DM'd me. She's like, there should be a system that people have to answer to. Like there should be a website or something where these these names go on that before somebody moves in the community, the rabbi can check. Like there should be some kind of, we are one big community. At the end of the day, whether we like it or not, we're one big community. We're moving around. All of us are moving around from community to community. We're, we're the Jewish nation and it, there's one of us and we're not that big. And the fact is it's a small world. Right. That's what we have. It's true. Now there's, I can see a lot of places where people would have pushback to this plan. I I think that the first step is pretty self-explanatory saying that we don't tolerate abuse should not be 
difficult. And I know that it hasn't been simple for you. And we'll get to that in a minute. Um, and, and the truth is that, yeah, mediating, having a rabbi mediate the get and kind of working outside of the based in system. I didn't know that you didn't need a based in to get. No divorced. one knows you, that. There you, you go. No yeah. one knows. You're right. You don't. Um, we don't have education. That's the problem. That's not right. the problem. It's the last part that I think where things get a little bit more complicated because there has it has been accepted for the longest time that the man gives a get and woman and the women can choose whether or not to accept it. But for the most part, she always does. And because the consequences of not accepting it are so much higher for her than they are for him. Not, not giving all it. women accept it. I have to be honest. I know women who haven't. I know women who haven't and have claimed that that he's an get, get abuser and it's not true. And he, I'm sure that happens, but it can't be but it's denied that the, um, the consequences of her not of, at the end of the day, if there isn't a, if there isn't a divorce, she's in a worse spot than he is. Right. Not halakhically, but yes, people are like to believe that this, this idea that a man can get married to another wife, it's, it's not actually accurate. Halakhically. Talk me through that. So the Ramam says that if a man is going to marry a second wife, he ha- when he says harat mikudeshetli under the chuppah, he has to say harat mikudeshetli chatziai. He has to say you're married to half of me because you're only married to half of me. And she has to go into the marriage knowing that she is going to be a sister wife. Otherwise, it's not a kosher marriage. Also, when he picks the second wife, he has to get her approval first. She has to like her and she has to want to include her in her home. And once he doesn't do that, it's not a kosher marriage. Also, so we have the Kharam the Rabbeinu Gershom where he said, you're not allowed to marry two wives. And now that it's become community standard, even for those people who like to say the Kharam the Rabbeinu Gershom has expired, it's not Yehudis. And we don't change. It became Minag Yisrael. And we don't change that. Minag Yisrael ka'alachahu. We don't change it. So it's the Minag became Alacha. You're not allowed to marry two wives unless you're from a country that never, ever stopped marrying two wives. But even if you were to marry two wives, it has to be with those two conditions. So Right, but we but we've heard of um you know Hetermeyer Rabbanim and and all of that that Hetermeyer Rabbanim is not that Hetermeyer Rabbanim Hetermeyer Rabbanim gives a heter that this woman is psychologically insane, she cannot accept the get, she's not mentally capable to accept the get, and we are going to accept it on her behalf. Oh, I didn't know that. Right, see, this is the thing. This is the same. I'm gonna totally go off topic. Everything we have on the way stop late. People like are, and when I say people, I mean rabbis, they just spell things and they don't give any context and they don't give the full paragraph of what they're quoting. And there is a lot of context and nuance. Chevy Zamet says this all the time. Nuance is the key. And if you don't have it, you don't understand. But then you have the whole community just like repeating it because that's what they were told and that you can't blame them for that. But if you're going to stand on stage and educate people, educate people. Stop missing out half the words to fit your, your agenda. It's not, it's wrong. How did this- Very frustrating. I'm, I'm, gl- I'm, I know it's off topic, but I'm glad that you brought up the Lace Top Wigs thing. Um, how, does, how does this play into that? Because I mean, okay, a Lace Top Wig, for anyone who isn't familiar, is a wig, which, which Orthodox Jewish women cover their hair after they're married. Most do so with a wig. And it is a wig where the hair is on a mesh thing. It makes it more comfortable. It makes it lighter. It makes it look more natural. Um, and, but for the most part, most people enjoy it for the comfort um, and also for the natural look, I guess. But it's, it's, it makes it much uh, lighter weight. There are recently, honestly, since the Mayron tragedy, it has become yep. very 
I guess, popular or in vogue to say that uh, that a lace top wig is like walking with your hair uncovered um, because it is see through um, or because it is um, no, because it's Mars Iron because it doesn't look like a wig. a wig. I've heard both. I've heard because it's see through. Tech, because it is technically see-through because the hair is on a mesh, um, which is not true because you're but seeing that's the not hair. true. The hair is cov- the, the hair, hair is covering the, the mesh. That's but I've heard people say that because it's on the mesh, which again I think is um, baloney, and um, and also because it's Mars sign because it looks so natural that you can never tell. Okay, first of all, you can always tell. You can always always tell. But- first of all, every single Jewish woman can tell when it's a wig and when it's not a wig because when it's a wig, it's a lot prettier. Second of all, the the whole Mars iron thing is you can't you can't put a Mars iron on an asset. You only put a Mars iron on a log. So only when the Torah says not to do something can you put a Mars iron on that. When the Torah says to do something, there's no such thing as Mars iron on the mitzvah that you have to do on a positive commandment, right? The positive commandment, the negative commandment, Mars iron, which means that like it looks like you're doing something wrong, but you're not really doing something wrong. That is only on negative commandments. I never thought about it that way. You're right. You can't look like you're not doing something right. It's not like, think about it that way. This it's, it says this in the Gemara. Right. And the also Gemara just logically, it. that makes sense. Right. Because the Gemara is logical. Right. Right. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So there is no such thing as Mara sign in this kind of thing. And the thing that no. bothers me so much more about all of this is that the fact it's it's no coincidence that this became a hot button topic after the tragedy that happened in Mayrone because well because when, women are always blamed exactly always. it's oh exactly and it's always the reason why all of those people had to die in that act of negligence was because the women were not being serious enough which is I, just I just feel like women would have died <laughs> I don't want to say anything like whatever I'm just saying we were smack in the middle of an Oguna crisis and. I'm just like, oh, whatever. Those, obviously, those were very holy neshamas. I have nothing negative to say about them. They were karbanos. They were holy neshamas. Hashem took them up on Magbomer to dance with them. Like, we know they were holy. I'm not saying anything negative about them. But if you're going to lay blame, which you shouldn't do, which your refers are not allowed to do. Right. So it's a, do it. It. Right. And also, it's just stupid. The, to, to, for anyone to come and say, you know, it makes if you want, look stupid, yeah. It makes it, but also, it's even, if you want to talk about, reasons you know why do why do bad things happen to good people because sometimes life sucks that's why and also because there's no way for you to know because god works in mysterious ways and because it's impossible you know the, the whole bigger picture thing and, and all of that big picture right but either way the by trying to answer those kinds of questions with and and by pointing fingers because of it by saying oh yeah all those people had to die because you're not doing something right maybe all those people had to die because i'm not doing something right maybe there's maybe there's a the fact that the instinct is for a bunch of frankly men to get up and say the women in our community well honey maybe right. take a step back maybe talk about what the men in our community are doing or maybe talk about what you personally are doing or maybe don't say anything because frankly, to think that you know anything about the way that God works in the world, look, is the Rambam says the Rambam says that when there's a tragedy, every single person should look inside themselves and see what they can improve on. So, okay, look inside yourself and look. There were a lot of people who looked inside themselves. When I, I, when I heard about the tragedy, I was like, you know what? This isn't covered abrios. What happened wasn't covered abrios. It wasn't respectful to others. So I talk about myself to try and be more respectful to other people to think before I speak because I'm very like like I just say things and I cut people off all the time and I'm like okay let's try to like take a deep breath and think before we speak make sure it's respectful but I would never go to you and tell you to do that 
And like the whole thing, just to go back to that Aguna thing, like the whole thing that happened was that all the women were like, why is nobody thinking that maybe this is because of the get refusers? And why is it that when there was this whole article, like, oh, we sat down and we had an immediate emergency conversation with this problem of our day, this big, huge problem that the Jewish community is facing. Everybody thought that article was going to be about gets and it was about lace top wigs. And it's like, you just cannot take responsibility for your actions. You need to take responsibility for your actions. A woman's, uh, women have um, Kabbalistically, we do have this this knack of being able to guide and push our husbands or the men in the world to the right thing, which is what Chava was able to influence Adam, Esther was able to influence Achashverosh. It goes on and on. Yael, like we all, that's a knack that women have. Hashem gave it to us because we raise children. And we have to be able to guide them. Okay, but the, at a certain point, the the guy has to be want to be guided, and he has to move his feet. And and like I can spoon feed it to you, and all of this can happen if you're going to keep on turning around. You're going to keep on blaming the lace top wigs, and you're not going to actually look at your own actions of completely ignoring agunas, not answering the phone, telling them that they're wrong, giving them horrible advice, enabling abusers. Then like I'm sorry, you have to look at yourself. And I'm not God, and you're not God. So let's all stop playing God, and let's all try to be good Jews according to the Torah, like we all claim to want to be. Like, what is going on here? Right, you're right. Uh, what what is going on? You're right, and it's also it's 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 the thing to me that I was not surprised when that thing about lace top wigs came out. In fact, I. I mean, I rolled my eyes so far into the back of my head, they got stuck for a minute, but I wasn't, we've seen this before. We've seen this happened with, we've seen this with wigs, period. We've seen this happen with- Corona, they blamed Corona on the wigs. Right, Corona was all about the wigs also. It's like, okay. Um, You know, we've seen this happen with wigs. We've seen this happen uh, with earrings. We've seen this happen with skirt links. We've seen this happen with color. We've seen this happen with denim. We've seen this happen with- Nail polish. Nail, oh, nail polish. Don't get me started. Yeah. It's like- Even women just working, women having jobs, women driving. Like, look, there's going to be forever and always ways that you can oppress women. Just stop it. You're right. And just- Focus and stay in your lane. You're, if you if you want to be so involved, this is what I keep on saying. If you want to be so involved in women's lives and you want to get down to the nitty gritty of like how I brush my teeth in the morning, then please get involved in women's lives and stop telling Agunas that you don't, that you don't, this is not your thing. You don't take, okay, neither is wigs. I'm sorry. Since when did you become an expert in wigs? Wigs are your thing now. So then also kitten is your thing. Right. If, oh, if, it's a if, pick if it- and choose. Right. If if you're so if, if right, exactly if you're so eager to make wigs and sneakers your thing, then let's talk about the things that are actually important. One last note on the wig thing before we move on. I dare anyone who thinks that covering your head with a lace top wig is not covering to spend twenty minutes in the summer in the New York City subway system wearing the most unsneeze lace top wig you can possibly find and tell me that your head isn't covered because I mean it's so if you really want to educate yourself, headlines, which is a podcast, has a whole entire episode where he literally interviews rabbis and goes through the whole, he interviews rabbis who are for them and interviews rabbis who are against them. And he goes through the whole halachic process and he very clearly proves that they're totally okay. So if you want to educate yourself, you can go listen to that. That um, sounds like an awesome listen. I will definitely listen to it. And I'm going to link that episode in the show notes also for anyone who wants to, um, who wants to listen to it. So I want to go back to your three-step plan. You have this letter um, that is essentially the first step of your plan, which is basically, like you said, just getting people to the table and getting um, rabbis in, in 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 America in the communities to unequivocally state that this is that get refusal is not something that they tolerate that abuse is not something that they tolerate and the specific actions that they will take to make sure that that doesn't happen in their communities. What has the reaction to your letter been? 
So my rea- the reaction from the community has been, oh my God, you're amazing. Thank you so much. Or asking me a question or two and then going, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. Thank you so much for everything that you did. Um, the reaction from rabbis has been un- largely to ignore me, like very largely to ignore me. Um, I've been told by rabbis that it's circling among them, that like they keep sending it to each other. Rabbis are sending it to each other, but they've had none of them reached out to me. Um, I would say about 10 reached out. Now I sent it to 80 rabbis just for like percentage wise, about 10 reached out to me, um, two signed. So I wrote it with Rabbi Kahan. He's, he is, he says that he's, he wants to sign after he doesn't want it to be like his thing. He wants it to be the community. He wants it to come from the community. He doesn't want to come from him. Um, I sent it, I don't know if I should name names or not, but I can tell you who signed. I sent it to Rabbi Feldman. He responded with, I would like to sign this. That was his response. And I was blown away by the simplicity of it. Um, I sent it to my father, of course. He said, I want to see it in person. He flew in yesterday and he signed it yesterday. Um, he, he read it. He walked around for an hour, came back and he signed it. I was very emotional because I was very nervous that he wouldn't sign it. Um, but he signed it. And my husband, of course, signed it. Um, I sent it to a few rabbis. Some of them asked me a few questions and then ignored me the rest just straight up ignored me and they really just don't care do you i feel like we should also mention that your father is not just your dad like he is a my father is a huge rab a huge huge rab my father is a very big tzaddik and he is one of my he's obviously one of my favorite people in the world he's my father but like he's one of the most my i i can't think of many people i respect more than him and um, just so that everyone could like hear his full name. Oh, Rabbi Yaakov Haber. Yeah, that's he's your dad. He's the Rav of Kila Shifte Asherin and Ramat B'Chemesh. So yeah, when you keep talking about your dad, I, I just felt the need to note that like, it's not just my father, like your dad. My father's a bit, my father was a, was a Rav in Buffalo, in the Torah Center in Buffalo. He founded the Kolal in Australia. He, found, he was a Rav based Torah in Muncie. And, he's, and he was a national director of Jewish education when he lived here. And he is now a Rabbi in she's a very well-known rabbi. He's, he's pretty awesome yeah I see you like you're I feel like you almost shrinked away from that like question maybe <laughs> I don't know there was something about that that felt a little about awkward. what with the well-known rabbi yeah <laughs> well because I always say he's a well-known rabbi and then I'm like well if he's well-known why am I telling you all this but like whatever the Jewish community is big but like I'll tell you this um the book Spiros Mm-hmm. He wrote that book. Like many people know the book Spiros, they don't know that he. So that was my father. Right. He's a he's a big rabbi. He knows you know he's like he's first in Kabbalah. Like he he just he knows his stuff. He's a kind person. He's a good person. Yeah, that that is definitely true. We, and we hold of him. Do you think that because you have his endorsement on the letter now, you'll get more traction? I thought so. Um, I don't know. He thinks so. I think so. Rabbi Kahan thinks so. I had a few rabbis who emailed me back and said, did your father sign it? Please let me know when he does. And I emailed them yesterday and they said, my father signed it. And so did Rabbi Elon Feldman. You can sign it now. Right. But they didn't answer me yet. That's also another thing that's so frustrating to me is that it seems like, you know, there's no one who's willing to be the first. You know, there's no one who's willing to to just to just take a stand and say, this is something that I don't tolerate. It's just so much easier oh, Rabbi not Feldman to. did. Yeah, and it, and he did not care that there was no other signature there. He was the first one, and you know what? He's incredible for that. Yeah, what are the ways that people, you know, if if someone is listening to this and they 
they think that I, I feel like also can you do me a favor can you just read the letter so that everyone knows what's on it so that we know what we're talking about I can read it I can also send you the link and you can put it in the show notes but I, can I read definitely it. will it's very short it says we the undersigned Rabbanim hereby state our intolerance of gut refusal any couple in our community that has been separated must reach an understanding within 12 months of separation through mediation with a Rav or a basin of their choosing or an ad hoc basin which is a Zabla failure an ad hoc basin is when the man chose the basin not the woman Failure to reach an agreement during this time results in a get being mandated by the husband to his wife if she is asking for one. This is a halakhic sack that he must give a get. Any man who does not reach an agreement with his wife within 12 months of separation is considered a get refuser and will be treated as listed below. In addition, any man who has a serum on him, verified by the Rev of the shul, falls into this category and will be treated as listed below. He will not be counted for a minion or allowed to daven in our shul until he gives his wife a get. I, as the rabbi, will personally make sure that my community is aware of the abuser and his actions towards his wife. Signs of him will go up in our community to notify all members to not do any business with him. If he moves, the rabbi will notify the new community of his actions. That's all thing. Yeah, bad. and not it's bad. very straightforward and easy to understand. And also, I should note, that is what the halacha is. Like, yep. you're not asking anybody to take on anything that nope. they should not already be doing. Correct. So you're basically just asking someone to sign a letter saying that they will do what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But they won't. But they won't. Yeah. That's... Doesn't that scare you? Yeah. So here's the next step. Here's what I decided to do. I said, you know what? Sending them emails isn't working, but you know what? Now they're busy, get washed. Maybe they meant to come back soon and they forgot. I'm not taking credit for this idea. It was Shira from Swadabi's idea. But she said, maybe we should go make appointments with rabbis. Make meetings with rabbis. I think you're about to ask what people can do. So mm-hmm. there's a link. It's a Google document. Okay. So any rabbi who wants to sign can email me his signature. We can add his name to the Google doc and it immediately updates for everybody who has the link. So I can send you the link. You can print it out and you can go to your rabbi's house and you can ask him to please sign this letter and you can take a picture of the signature and you can send it to me and I will upload it to the letter. Yes. That's, That's going to be the next step. Yeah. And that also is, you know, think about you know, we've all been kind of posting and wondering what it is that we can do. This is something that you can do that is concrete and that will really make a difference because also those first couple are the hardest to get. And the Mm -hmm. nature of this is that once you get those first couple, then it will become that much easier. It will become that much easier because- But I think going in person is going to be the trick. Yeah. Because you're putting them on the spot and nobody's going to tell you that they don't keep a lacha. And if they won't sign this letter, they're saying, I don't keep a lacha. Right, exactly. So there is something to be um, to be said about that. And I'm going to include all of the links and some pretty clear instructions for that in the show notes. And if anybody has I any- even I even typed up a template email you can send. Made it very easy for you. <laughs> <laughs> Kayla's very into, very into spoon feeding, everybody. We're <laughs> <laughs> spoon feeding people. Okay? Yeah, she, that's it's it's true. And these are the kinds of things that, you know, this is the kind of grassroots stuff that really makes change happen. This is the kind of down and dirty and, you know, this, this is the kind of stuff that makes people really start thinking about it. And it, this is really a way where we as a community can just say that this is not something that we tolerate, because also it's important to remember that the way that the Basin system works, Basin only has power if everyone respects what they say. And, um, and having a C-Rov against you is only impactful if everyone respects that that's a serum. So what you're essentially doing is that, you know, we've spoken a lot on this podcast about how- Can I just say what a serum is? Sure. Because I've heard a lot of people say, yes, yes, but there's another side. You don't know the full story. A serum means that a basin sat and heard both sides. 
Right. What you people don't understand is that CIRA means that already all that research has been done and being signed off on by a huge, I mean, the basin of Lakewood is a big basin. You can't really say that they didn't do their work, right? If right. they're giving the CIRA to a man, that is, they have done their work. So many girls have been begging them to give CIRAs to their exes and they are not. So like if they have a CIRA against them and it's not just them, it's everybody. Like once somebody has a serum, that means he is ignoring Basin. He does not, he's not coming to the table. He doesn't want to say his that you have a side. Great, show up and say it. Plead your case. Don't go hide in Vegas. That's not going to get you anywhere. Like you clearly don't want to do anything. A serum means that he has, we have tried everything and he does not care. Or the Basin has heard both stories and has mandated him to give a get and he does not care. It's not an invitation for you to do your own research. It's a commandment to you to please not do anything with this man until he gives his wife again. And every single time you don't, you're doing a mitzvah. And if you come to me with Avas Yisrael, I'm going to quote Rabbi Jacobson, you're not doing Avas Yisrael if your Avas Yisrael to one Jew is hurting another Jew. And you're right. hurting your sister. So why are you doing it? Right. That's what it's a sirab is. I don't think people know what a sirab is. Yeah, it's also, I think that it's, and, and something like that, something like a sirup only has power if everyone respects it. It only has power if everybody takes it seriously and if everybody treats it seriously. And mm -hmm. what this essentially does by, by having the rabbi in your community sign this letter, you're essentially recommitting them to A, do what they've always been supposed to be doing. And you're recommitting them to the halakha-based system that we want to run our communities by. It's really hard to run our communities by halakha-based systems because there is no such thing as a halakhic police. You know, there is no, if a, if a secular court um, order something and you don't do it, then the cops show up. And like, if you're not paying your child support secularly, they will garnish your wages and that money will get paid. And Basin doesn't have that kind of power. And the only way that we can run our communities according to these halachic principles is if we as a community say, we are each taking it upon ourselves to be the police. We are each taking it upon ourselves to make sure that the things that are halach that have been halachically decided are proper, which is why the system is so ripe for corruption, because mm -hmm. it's, it becomes very, he said, she said, and, 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 you know, it's and anyone, just he said, she said, it's so the basins are getting bribed. Right, exactly. And, and all of that. And it's, and it's so, and it's so simple for something like that to happen. I think that the thing that is constantly being overlooked and something that get refusers like to say a lot is that, oh, well, she wants to force me to give a get and that won't make it a get al pi halacha, you know, that That's won't make true. it That's a kosher. True. Right. Which of course is, exactly. is not true, but either way, when someone is fighting to get their get, they are essentially fighting to stay from. They are fighting to stay orthodox. They are fighting to be able to be a part of their community. There is someone who is literally trying to bang down the door to be accepted by the community, to be a part of the community, to have their children be a part of the community, to be, to have their, to have their, and, and, and we're not letting because them. technically she can leave and get yeah. married and just leave the community. And what she they're can. doing is that's a really good point they're fighting they're fighting to be from and you're literally just going to ignore them right that's literally what it is and it's not only that it's not only are you ignoring them they're fighting to be from and you're ignoring them but they're fighting to be from you're ignoring them and you're saying no i'm gonna believe the guy who hit her or i'm gonna believe the guy who was you know emotionally abusive i'm gonna believe the guy who is obviously not a winner because he's been holding her in this situation for you know not even you know your your time like yeah, forget about a year and a half, 10, 12, 15. You know, we've heard of cases that went on for 30 years. That's like minimum. <laughs> yeah. But, and I think the, there was something about that 12 month deadline that really struck me because that to me, 
to me, I like the fact that you put a, a definite deadline that after 12 months, this is something that has to happen. And also, I mean, listen, I've never gone through a divorce. I've never, no one close to me has gone through a divorce. I have almost no experience with divorce, but it seems to me like you can figure anything out within a year. So I'm doing this based on Rabbi Kahan. Rabbi Kahan wanted to write three months. <laughs> Everyone said <laughs> six months. I said 12 months because I've spoken to a lot of women who are waiting for their get. And a lot of them have explained to me that it takes time. It takes time to do the negotiations, to figure it out, figure out custody, figure out when, and I get that. However, Rabbi Kahan explained to me, all it takes is one or two conversations, maybe four, maybe four hour conversations, maybe five hour conversations. But if you're both sitting there and you're both willing to make this work, then you can figure out the details. Okay, you, she wants this, you want that. Okay, let's figure it out. But to, to say that after 12 months, you're still figuring it out, at that point, you're just dragging your feet. You're not coming to the meetings. You're not showing up. You're getting lawyers. You're getting other people involved. You're, you're playing games. Stop it and give your wife. At that point, it, it's on you. And halakhically, you have to give your wife a get the second she asks for one. So the 12 months is a very nice case period because halakhically, you need to give it immediately. So, like, that's the halakha. The halakha is a woman can ask for a get whenever she damn pleases and you have to give it. And you can't even ask her why. You are not allowed to ask her why. And if a woman refuses to accept the get, you're not allowed to ask her why. A woman has the full control in a marriage. If women knew how much power we had, all of the men would be the ones who are chained to marriages because we would be the ones not releasing them. And we would be the ones releasing them whenever they piss us off, which is, by the way, the number one argument that I hear from men. I don't have a lot of men on my account because I don't let men follow me. But they, sound, they get it and I'm a public account. They get it and they DM me. And always, 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 Every time she gets her, her feelings hurt, she's going to go get divorced. So we can't give the power to him. That's not true. That's not true. The reason we're allowed to get divorced, and trust me, I've done the research. The reason that we're allowed to get divorced is because us having the power to leave makes our men behave to a certain standard. The second that I can't leave, he can do whatever he wants to me, and I can't leave. So he doesn't have to ever try. The second I have the ability to leave, he has to now behave in a way that will keep me. And that's the beauty of Jewish marriages. Christians are not allowed to get divorced. Catholics are not allowed to get divorced. Muslims are not allowed to get divorced. We're allowed to get divorced because God knew that that would create the standard for men to have to behave in a certain way to make me want to stay. I'm the queen. You're the king, but I'm the queen and you need me. And you need to behave in a way to make me stay. Like there's, the second you start twisting it to what it is today, which is very twisted, you're literally taking away the entire reason that we get married. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it, it doesn't. And this education is something that you are very firmly committed to. I personally have learned so much just by paying attention <laughs> to what you were saying and being like, <laughs> oh you. yeah, I feel like I knew that in the back of my head, but laying it out that way is, yeah. you, you're right. It, it just, it makes so much sense. And I think that that's also another thing is that we think of halacha and Torah as this esoteric thing. And it is esoteric on a certain level, but it's also really practical and it's also quite logical. And, and there are also parts of it that just make sense. Um, and I know that with the book that you're working on, there's, that, that, that's a huge part of what, of what you're working on with, with your book. And I'd love if you could uh, tell me a little bit more about that. So my book was basically, my book started off when I was like, is there a God? I don't know if there's a God. Do I like him? I was 100% convinced that God was the devil. I had babies. So I, I was like, okay, clearly there's a God in the world. Like, I don't know how anybody gives birth and is an atheist, but I was like, okay, there's a God. But I just like, wasn't really sure I liked him. And then once I started learning about Hashem, then it got to the point of like, okay, 
what's the Torah? And then I learned a lot about the Torah. And once I did that, I really realized that everything we do has a reason. Every single way that Hashem told us to run our lives is because that pushes us to our to be the best version of ourselves. And in order to be the and, and in order to bring Malchus into the world and bring about the Tikkun of Adam and Kava, we need to be the best versions of ourselves. And the Torah is the is the path to being the best version of ourselves, which is why I chose to do the Torah, which is why you chose, which is why the Torah is a choice. Because if it's not a choice, you're not you don't care. You have to actually choose it. So with everything that bothered me, whatever it may be, Shabbos, Agunas, kosher, tefillah, whatever it was, it's like, okay, I have this foundation that whatever we do is for a reason and it's for my ultimate benefit. Let's go figure that out. What's that reason? How can I connect to this mitzvah? How can I do it in a way that I really feel like I'm bettering myself and I feel happy and content and satisfied doing it? And I started doing that with every single thing. And I ended up having eight chapters in my book of, and I and I never planned to write a book. I just had notes. And my friends were asking me for my notes. And I was like, what? All these from girls have the same questions as me. And here I thought I was so weird and strange and odd. And it, it got to a point where my niece read it. And she was like, you need to, you need to, you, more people need to read this. And my father has a publishing company. So I asked him, what do you think? And he was like, yeah, that's a good idea. We should do that. But it needs a lot of work. And then for a year and a half, he sat with me every week on Zoom and we learned together. We filled in all the holes, we edited it, we learned together and it's being published right now. And it's it's insane to me that it's being published, but that's why I got into the Aguna thing to begin with. I didn't have any friends who were Agunas. I didn't, I'm, I'm, I'm happily married, you know, my parents are happily married. I didn't have any connection to this at all, but I suddenly started getting all these questions on Instagram. How can the Torah, you see, the Torah is not good. You see, this is not good. Look what Halakha does to women. Look at this, it's terrible. And I was like, no, we have this foundation that the Torah is good for us and for ultimate benefit. Well, let's figure this out. And then I started learning and I was like, oh my God, the world is so corrupt. Like that's when I was like, oh, one second, we have really strayed from the Torah. And and then Rabbi, like I learned a lot about the role of women as well. So it was like, well, okay, women have this role to like influence the men to do the right thing so let's do it but the men have to want to be influenced like i keep saying so yeah we cannot do all the work for you no nope, we can't that's, that's... we won't we won't we're not going to become schmatas. i'm not gonna i have my boundaries i'm just gonna do what i have to do and you have to do the rest amen yeah no I... it's not i keep telling myself i have to do my best because people keep telling me it's a lost cause like what are you, you're, you're so naive, you're so optimistic, it's a lost cause. And I'm like, I have to know, I have to go to sleep at night knowing I tried my best. What they do with my best is not my problem. Right. It's not my issue. And also, it's not a lost cause. Because I truly believe that if, particularly when it comes to Agunos, if this is not something that we, if you're going to treat the Aguna crisis as a lost cause, then you have given up on Frumkite. Because I'm telling you what's going to happen. Just like we've been talking about how these Agunos are women who are fighting to stay a part of the a part of from Jews, not everyone's going to do that. And the more and more people who give up on that, as they have every right to, if somebody is, has been trying to be accepted for years, for decades, and we are not letting them, and then they say, you know what, screw this, I'm not, I'm done trying to be accepted by people who clearly don't want me. That's going to happen more and more. It's not even just more. done. It's like the, they're, these girls, like their their best years, right? Right. They're giving to this fight, like somebody was telling me about her friend that she was like, I'm not giving, I'm 27 years old. I'm not doing this. 
I'm going to go have love. Why shouldn't I have love? And, and frankly, if I was in her position, I would probably do the same thing. Like I probably would. Why, why, why should I sit around and wait for some corrupt system to give me permission to have love in my life? I'm going to go get love in my life. Why should I do that? Right. Yeah. I'm not going to spend my mid, my mid twenties to my mid thirties when I could be having a family, like you said, having love fighting with some rabbis about my right to do so. I'm not going to do it. Um, and I think that, and the more, and the, and the fact that there are people who are making the decision to do that, to spend those years, like you said, those best years. So many people. So many people have decided to spend those best years fighting with people for their right to have a life is, I mean, it blows my mind. And I I, I can say with, I'm, I don't want to say with like 100% certainty because you never know what you'll do until you're in that situation. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty positive that if I was in that situation, I would be like, screw this and leave. But But who knows? But either way, it's, the more and more people, we're going to make it harder and harder. The harder and harder that we make it for people to be from, to be orthodox, we're just going to be the ones who ultimately end up losing. You want to hear something crazy? I was in the tile store and I was just like venting about it. We were, me and my sister were talking about it. And the guy in the store, this Swedish guy, he overheard our conversation, the owner. And he goes, I don't understand what the question is. We're not supposed to suffer through the Torah. We're supposed to live through the Torah. It's supposed to be a positive experience for us. The second it becomes negative, you're not keeping it correctly. So it shouldn't, it was was so simple to him. He was like, obviously this is wrong. It's negative. Torah's supposed to be positive. Duh. Wow. I was like, the guy in the tile store. I was like, I like that sentence. I think I like that. Like, it's true. Like you're not supposed to make Torah difficult. Right. And if you do buy the make it as difficult as possible. Right. And also, and if you do make it difficult, people are just not gonna do it. They're not gonna do it. If you care about the continuity of Orthodox Judaism, then you care about the Aguna crisis. Because what's gonna end up happening is that women and girls are gonna be leaving in droves just like they were leaving in droves in the early nineteen hundreds before Sarshner made Basakov. It's just gonna happen. I have actually done a lot more research on her since um interviewing are are you familiar with Dr. Leslie um Ginsbar Klein? Um, vaguely, yeah. Okay, Google her, read her stuff. Um, I had her on the podcast. Who connected me to her? Avital Goldschmidt. Um, okay. Uh, okay, so she, I had reached out to her. I was like, who's something, who's someone great? Who should I have? And she says, you have to talk to Dr. Klein. I was like, okay, no problem. So I had her on. And in the course of the interview, she called Base Yaakov a grassroots activism movement, like a social justice movement. And it lit, I have not stopped thinking about it since I have. And, and since then I've done a lot more research around it. And I was like, she's she, 100% she, everyone right. Everyone hated her. She yeah. was a feminist. Sarshir was a feminist. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's weird that like a feminist ended in a lot of homish tests, but it's true. It's like, that's, <laughs> it's true. That's, it's not even that. It's like, I'm like, I, I, you're thinking back to how I went to be Zagreb and Israel, they would stuff Sarshnir down my face. And I'm like, Sarshnir would literally cry if she saw what's going on right now. Like, she would literally cry if she right. saw what you're doing. Don't stick yeah. her in my face. Yeah, it's, it's true. And yeah, I highly recommend that anyone interested in just learning about some pretty cool for women definitely definitely take a look at search here i hate that i need to cut us off now but i need to cut us off this was this was a fantastic look at we should do it again we really should by the way i could talk Um, about this for hours i could talk about everything for hours (laughs) (laughs) if some if someone wants to learn more about kayla work about you kayla where can they go so my instagram is questioning the answers and i really just do everything there Awesome. And um, your book is going to be published soon. So it's uh, currently being, it's in the, it's, it's there. We're waiting. They said around Hanukkah time, it's going to be in stores. So 
We're hoping. We're hoping. Okay, so this will definitely be airing before Hanukkah time. But if you're listening to this after Hanukkah of 2021, two, two, two one, yeah, the two, next December. one. December. It's December. So it's one, whatever. Um, I am going to put a link to Kayla's book in the show notes as soon as it becomes available. So if you're listening to this after then, um, then I will pre-order it. Oh, we can pre-order. Where can we pre-order? I'll send you a link. You can pre-order the book. Okay. And um, is it a pre-order link? Is it on Amazon? Is it on publisher site? It's it's my my own website and all the money goes towards publishing the book. Got it. Okay. So it's, it's how I'm paying for the book. (laughs) <laughs> right oh yeah you explained this to me that like your publisher yeah. is is different in the way that it I always thought that they're people... different that in the sense that I own my book they don't right own my book right so you didn't sell them the book they're just basically printing it for you and like you're taking your yeah, it's very they're publishing it for me right it's very cool and but distributing you... it distributing yeah. it thank you that's the word um so yeah the pre-order link is going to be in the show notes and then i will also include um the order link if you're listening to this once it's already available and uh, the last question that i want to ask you is that to you kayla haber goldstein what does it mean to make an impact oh my god what does it mean to make an impact i think it's to fix some of the world like i feel like you know how like you could imagine like an infected area and you get to like take some of that infection out and like make it smooth skin Like if I can just do that, even just a little bit, I'll feel like I made an impact. Just like fix the world a little bit, even just one corner. Just make one person have a better life. Then you'll feel like I made an impact. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on today, Kayla. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Kayla, get her book or see the letter, her links are in the show notes. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of impact fashion, the clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 24 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 11 people listed by Ora Agunot as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses, original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.